Hey everyone, do you ever hear about someone who's been through so much that you promise to never complain about your life again because you're a liar? Today's book is the graphic novel memoir Persepolis by Marjan Satrapi. I'm Kellen Erskine. I'm a comic, a father, and a husband. I know I know that I usually try and incorporate each week's book and do a joke for my introduction here, but after we recorded the live podcast, I met Dave's mother, and the first thing she asked me was why I never mentioned that I was also a husband. <laughs> I'm not ashamed of being a husband. I'm just following the comedy rule of threes, right? And it's not as funny to say a comic, a father, a husband, and a whoopee cushion collector. <laughs> Persepolis is the memoir of Marjan Satrapi, who grew up as Iran was overthrowing its dictator, who we had nothing to do with. Don't Google it. <laughs> and this is The Book Pile. Mimi0331 says, Love this podcast so much. I listen to several podcasts, but this is the only one I have to, all caps, listen to the day it comes out. Way more than five stars. And uh, Mimi then gives us about 17 star emojis, which is pretty great. <laughs> yeah, this is one that I had a hard time reading any sort of passive aggression. So I <laughs> I don't think I can uh, feel bad this time. Has this ever <laughs> happened? <laughs> I mean, I do want to know what other podcasts she's listening to, but that's fine. <laughs> Finally, our next book is Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. All right, and without further ado, here are four lessons that we took from Persepolis. All right, lesson one, horror doesn't have to be shown horrifically. So I was pleasantly surprised at how effective this book was, Dave, because after you recommended it to me and I found out that it was a graphic novel, I was skeptical. Uh, <laughs> imagine if someone was like, hey, you've got to read the story about a POW camp during World War One. It's a comic book. <laughs> but what I loved immediately about this format is that it, it's still an effective storytelling device, especially since it's told from the point of view of a child. And I think it's a very effective way to layer single moments with humor and heart and even horror all at once. So one of the best examples of this is a panel in which the 12-year-old Marjan and her father are both hugging her mother, who has just put on a towel from getting out of the shower. The two of them had raced home because Iraqi jets had attacked close by. So in the, in the panel... Uh, the dad is saying, the Iraqis bombed us. The mom is saying, really? When? He says, just now. And the mom says, well, I guess I should dry off. <laughs> <laughs> and then at the bottom, the caption says, war always takes you by surprise. And so I just, I love this combination of, of humor and heart and also a, a very poignant thought about war. In the episode that we did on The Far Side, we talked about how Gary Larson said that the challenge and, and power of drawing a cartoon panel is that you have to be deliberate in choosing an exact split second in time. Hmm. Like that one where Noah is standing at the top of the ark. He's just opened the doors. The animals are grouped down below. And he says, all right, we're going to do this in alphabetical order. And there's a zebra in front who's like, crap. <laughs> As David Vance, I connect with that. 
Oh, yeah. Back of every lunch line. <laughs> it's people with last names like yours who bum out all of your family friends who have to go to your graduation. <laughs> So I love this method of expression because at least for me personally, I feel that I grow more the more I can learn about different cultures and upbringings and experiences, especially ones like this that are slightly different than mine. But at the same time, I'm also squeamish and that prevents me from reading certain books or watching certain movies that while they would enlighten my understanding would also give me nightmares. Yeah. And it's it's not that I need things sugar-coated. I just don't think I need to see everything to understand what mm -hmm. happened. Like for me, the movie Life is Beautiful was just as sad and horrifying and depressing as Schindler's List. And they're, they're both well-crafted films, but I just, I don't think I need to see every detail to feel the horrors that were committed. Sure. It's like how every time someone recommends an award-winning documentary to you, it's like they're saying, hey, you want to see a real downer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're never award-winning for happy reasons. <laughs> <laughs> I had a conversation with Abby today about this. Abby is my wife because I'm a loving husband. <laughs> Just want to make sure your mom relaxes, Dave. But we were talking about how we don't want to turn a blind eye. We don't want to turn a blind eye, but can we at least squint? <laughs> <laughs> because these things can also be cripplingly depressing. So I don't know whatever that balance is like. For me, child trafficking is its the most evil thing that exists. And I regularly donate to a cause that fights it. But I also think it takes a special person to work in that organization and work the front line. Because I don't, I just don't think I could be involved with it 10 hours a day. Like, Dave, I just want to know what your, what your perspective is. Where do you think this line is of not ignoring bad things, but also maybe not becoming immersed in them if you don't have to? I feel like I feel guilty either way that I approach it. The way I think about it is that there are things you can do that are actually effective and move the needle. I want to do a book later called Doing Good Better that's about the effective altruism movement and how you can like do the most with your donations, that kind of thing. Mm. And then there are things that make us feel like a good person, even if they don't actually do anything. Oh. <laughs> I think one of those is always suffering for all the evils of the world. And it's like, that doesn't really do anything for these people. <laughs> and so I, I try to learn enough to know where my donations can be most effective. Mm. But I, I don't think it's my duty, nor do I think it's beneficial to always be suffering because of the crap that happens in the world. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like, my dollars can help people way more than my guilt can. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's a really good point because I, I do think that people often misinterpret what charity is. It's more than just watching a, a short documentary on YouTube and then bragging about how aware you are now. <laughs> so an another panel that I think captures so many different emotions uh, in this book is when Marjan has recently had to make the switch of going to a religious school. In fact, she says, I think the reason we were so rebellious in school was that our generation had known secular schools. So it's, it's almost like, yeah, it's hard to indoctrinate someone 
partway through their life, you sort of have to start at birth, <laughs> you know, because these poor kids, and this is something that I didn't realize, these poor kids, uh, they got to see the before and after. Like yeah. when she was 10, she was in school with boys and they could wear whatever they wanted, essentially. And now they're being forced to, to cover their hair and the genders were separated. And in this one panel, a teacher of theirs who was fed up with their antics is yelling at them saying, you're worthless. You hear me? Worthless. And one of the kids says, poo-poo. <laughs> it's just, uh, again, for me, just this wonderful combination of like how, how dark this time was, but and even kids were fighting against it. And uh, in the following panels, the teacher ends up punishing the whole class because all of them were united against this regulation. There was, they had sort of a Spartacus moment <laughs> where none of them would admit who did it. So they, I am poo-poo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Lesson two. History is important because someone else once did the dumb thing you're about to do. <laughs> this book starts with the Iranian Revolution. But first, Kellen, I want to give you a thought experiment. Mm. Imagine in the middle of your living room, someone builds a very powerful electric fence. First, I want you to think about how dangerous that fence would be for you. So think on that. And now I'm going to add one more detail. You have no long-term memory. <laughs> I bring this up because when I turned 18, I was allowed to vote for the person who decides if we go to war, but I also knew nothing about our previous wars. <laughs> I'm just the guy every day who's like, oh, what happens if I touch this fence? <laughs> anyway, this book starts with the Iranian Revolution, and I knew growing up Iran had an oppressive government. I didn't know they came to power by overthrowing the dictator we installed in a coup. And the most embarrassing part is the CIA agent in charge was named Kermit. <laughs> If you get overthrown by a Kermit, it's embarrassing for both of you. <laughs> it was Kermit Kermit Roosevelt. He was Teddy Roosevelt's grandson. Oh, man. What does that guy say in the following hearing? Just tugging at his collar like, well, it's not easy. <laughs> anyway, Kellen, we've talked about how both parties kind of love war. I think if we learned in school about stuff like this, the next time there's a chance to make our own government in the Middle East, I think not as many of us would be like, well, this will be consequence-free. <laughs> <laughs> or even, this will definitely work. <laughs> I like that on war, our two options are the party that likes it and the party that also likes it, but at least makes a sad face. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Lesson three, there are good people in every country. I homeschool my kids and the entire course on geopolitics uh, is just that sentence. And then we break for the year. <laughs> in this book, Satrapi, she tells her story starting from when she was 11. And it picks up basically when Iran was switching leaders and major changes were enforced, such as gender separation, banning most entertainment, making women and girls cover their hair. And Satrapi, she draws panels of herself as a child making fun of of these regulations or complaining about the veil because of how hot it was. And her parents were against it, too, and they were active in protests and demonstrations. And it's this side of things that we don't see as much. And I don't know if it's our own media that turns a blind eye or if it's just plain easier to paint an entire country 
as good or bad. It's like how it took me watching the Tom Cruise movie Valkyrie to realize, oh yeah, I guess not every single German soldier under Hitler was totally supportive of Hitler. <laughs> Valkyrie tells the story um, of the assassination attempt on Hitler from within yeah. uh, his own military. And I just, I think to me, it was so surprising because every American made movie I'd ever seen, you just see Germany as a team of bad guys, right? right. Not considering that Germany is actually just a country full of human beings and uh, not all of them were totally into Nazism. Uh, also, Tom Cruise's Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol taught me to empathize more with ghosts. I just think there's a lot of things that movies can do for us. And I'm trying not to be insensitive here, too, because a lot of the population already practiced Islam um, and was living that way. The, the problem was a, a dictatorship imposing it upon the entire country, uh, which at the time uh, had many different religions. And so maybe not everyone was going to be on board with a clothing regulation uh, that they <laughs> didn't believe in from any sort of religious perspective. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you're you're Mormon. That doesn't mean you want a Mormon dictator. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's been more than one conflict that we've been involved with in the Middle East. And I think that <laughs> in the news, seeing that, just that sky cam of like 100 people walking down an Iranian street, the women covering themselves, I don't think we consider, hey, maybe not all of them are into this, right? <laughs> maybe... <laughs> Maybe half of them are uncomfortable, but they don't want to get beaten up again because a strand of hair is loose, you know? Yeah. Uh, it, it's. I think it's very easy to just look at it as, as this team and that team. But this whole black and white thing, it's like when I lived in Brazil and Brazilians would tell me to my face that all Americans were fat and rich. <laughs> <laughs> my joke response was always, hey, we're not all rich. <laughs> But it was crazy because I was clearly an American sitting in front of them, right, with with my 19-year-old metabolism that I've since lost. But, like, I would have loved, though, to, in those moments, to have been like, you all have much to learn about stereotypes, and then pulled out a solid gold pocket watch and been like, anyway, my helicopter will be here any minute. <laughs> if it can lift me. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> All right, lesson four. When you think you're better than other people, bad things can sometimes happen. <laughs> One of the most frustrating scenes in this book, this man has had three heart attacks and he needs to go to England for surgery, but he can't go unless he gets approved from the hospital director there in Iran. So his wife goes to meet the director and the director has no experience or credentials. Mm -hmm. In fact, he was her window washer. He only got the job because he became very religious, <laughs> and he's so condescending while knowing nothing. He says, if God wills it, he'll get better. And she says, well, we need your approval. And he says, if God wills it. You know those people who, it's weird, God always wants exactly what they want? <laughs> <laughs> it's like that quote we read before, a fanatic is a man that does what he thinks the Lord would do if he knew the facts of the case. <laughs> Anyway, what I notice in this book and in my life is that when you think you're better than someone, it's way easier to treat them horribly. Mm -hmm. 
there's another scene with this teacher. She's very condescending. She's forcing all these little girls to wear the veil or they'll get expelled and then they won't get an education. Anyway, as the dad is leaving the meeting, he says to the teacher, if hair is as stimulating as you say, then you need to shave your mustache. (laughs) (laughs) All right, random facts. In this book, to get into college, she has to take an ideology test, which is crazy. What's funny is my brother's starting med school, and on top of the MCAT, a lot of schools require you to take the Casper test, which is a standardized test for ethics. (laughs) They ask you those questions like, would you steal bread to feed your family? And then without telling you how they do it, they give you a score. (laughs) So my brother takes this ethics test, and then they're just like, you are 25th percentile. (laughs) You wicked boy. Also, now there are these videos about how to ace this ethics test. (laughs) I love this moment in the book. It's the night before Marjan's family is sending her to Europe, so it's the last time she'll ever see her grandmother. And her grandmother says, quote, In life, you'll meet a lot of jerks. If they hurt you, tell yourself that it's because they're stupid. (laughs) That'll help you from reacting to their cruelty. And I just, I think it's beautiful advice, which I need to keep in mind when we get negative comments. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This isn't your favorite podcast. That's because you're an idiot. (laughs) I was on YouTube looking up how to pronounce this author's name, and there's a pronunciation video from a large newspaper. And you know how when you define a word, you also use it in a sentence? This video said, Marjan Satrapi. There must be something wrong with my eyes, Marjan Satrapi, because I can't take them off of you. (laughs) Oh, no. Their example was a pickup line? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Oh, Oh, I want that to happen in a spelling bee when a kid is asking. (laughs) (laughs) I always thought it would be funny if the example sentences at the spelling bee are just roasting the kids. Oh, yeah. That would be a great if they were like, uh, could I hear ubiquitous used in a sentence? And they were like, there once was a dumb kid who didn't know what ubiquitous meant. (laughs) So Marjan Satrapi was the first woman to be nominated for the Academy Award for Best Animated Feature Film. Wow. With the film adaptation of, of this graphic novel. By the way, have you seen it? Have you seen the movie? No. Is it good? No, I haven't seen it, but I should have, and then just told you that I read the book. <laughs> Another fun fact, well, I don't know if it's fun. The first woman to actually win the Academy Award for Best Animated Feature was Brenda Chapman in 2013 for Brave. So at least the Academy went with a fake story about a girl who had to have courage. <laughs> This is a book about a regime that tells people what they can wear, what they can read, what they can believe. And then in the U.S., schools tried to censor it. (laughs) (laughs) So one of the lessons that I started preparing for this, um, I had titled it, Everyone Wants to Be a Hero, But No One Wants to Know One. (laughs) Because I, I think it's this idea that all of us want to be seen as as heroic 
But ultimately, heroes die early. <laughs> yeah. There's a couple chapters in the book where Marjan, as a, a child, is jealous of her friends who have close relatives that have been tortured or died as martyrs. And she says, my dad wasn't a hero. She's like mad about it. Um, <laughs> and she talks to her friend whose father had recently uh, died. Uh, in the protests, and she tells her friend, your dad was a hero, and her friend says, I wish he were alive and in jail rather than dead and a hero. Wow. Yeah. Finally, I have a quote from the book. The regime understood that one person leaving her house while asking herself, are my trousers long enough? Is my veil in place? Are they going to whip me? No longer asks herself, where's my freedom of thought, of speech? My life, is it livable? When we're afraid, we lose all sense of reflection. Fear has always been the driving force behind all dictators' repression. One of my favorite uh, sweet stories from this book is when Marjan's parents went to Turkey on vacation and they bought her some fun, like Western collectibles, including a couple of Iron Maiden posters, which they, <laughs> in order to sneak them back through customs, uh, her mom had the idea to sew them completely unfolded into the back of the dad's jacket. <laughs> Uh, and they were able to do it successfully. But also, what a crazy, risky thing to do for your child. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wouldn't you be so sad as the customs agent who finds that compartment and you think it's something exciting like cocaine, and then you're like, ah, another Iron Maiden poster. <laughs> All right, to recap, our favorite lessons from Persepolis. One, horror doesn't have to be shown horrifically. Two, History is important because someone else once did the dumb thing you're about to do. Three, there are good people in every country. Four, when you think you're better than other people, bad things can sometimes happen. And five, I am better than Dave. <laughs>